Hey, good morning, everyone. Wasn't it just, whew, the worship was good today. Can we just thank the Lord this morning for his presence? Amen. Amen. God is so good. So glad to see each and every one of you here this morning, those that are watching online. Uh, I'm excited. We're starting a new series looking at character, looking at how God uh, views our lives and how we're to live our lives out before others. And I want you to realize the way you live your life matters. And I want to just let you know that people are watching. And people are watching the way you react to certain situations, the way we react to what's going on in our world today. And people are watching to see how we react, to specifically see how you react. And there's people in your sphere of of influence that are watching you. Your kids are watching you if you have kids. Your spouse is watching you if you're married. Your co-workers are watching you. They're seeing how you react. And what I want to look at today, and as we look over the summer, we're going to look at different uh, values and virtues that should be part of our walk with Christ. If, if Christ has imprinted his spirit within our lives, it should be seen in the way we live our lives. So this is going to be a very practical series of messages on just what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to actually be a Christian? And, and is the, if the spirit of Christ is in our lives, if, if Jesus has imprinted his spirit in our life, then it should show in the way and how we live our lives. Now, it's interesting. God cares about your character and how you live your life. So he cares about this. And we see this all through the scriptures. And it's interesting what angered the religious elite uh, during the time of Jesus, is Jesus kind of exposed their heart. They were very religious on the outside. They did religious things, but their hearts weren't right. And Jesus exposed this. Exposes. I want you to listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6.1. He says this, so good, so good. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, what Jesus is saying here is what is going on in your heart? It is good for us to serve the Lord. We should. And we should serve people publicly. People should see us serving others. That's an important part of our Christian walk. However, it shouldn't be the only reason. The reason, the motivating factor for us serving others is not so that we can be seen or to say, look how righteous we are, right? Our motivating factor should be because we want to honor Christ and what he's done in our lives. And so what the religious elite did is they displayed their righteousness for the sole purpose of being seen. And so if there's any one point I want you to see over these next series of messages over the next couple of months is this. Jesus cares more about who you are than what you do. He cares so much more about who you are than necessarily what you do. It seems like in our world, it all revolves around what you do, right? Do you ever get two guys together when they begin to talk and they meet each other for the first time? What do they say? They say, what do you do? Well, what do you do? Well, what do you do? I do this and I did that and I, I did, right? We, we, we hang our hats on what we do or what our jobs are. That, 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 that is where we get our confidence or that's where we get our value or that's our identity. But Jesus actually cares more about who you are. And our world puts so much more stock in what we do than how we do it. Jesus cares how you 
do it. Christ should shape our character and how we live our lives. And so what Jesus does is he places his spirit in us when we follow him and we give our lives to him. And the proof of his spirit in us is how we live our lives. And I love this writing, this one book by Paul to the church in Philippi. And he writes to them to show them the example of Christ and how Christ lived his life and how we are to follow that example in the way we live our lives. So the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, encourages them to, to really live out their lives in accordance to how Christ has changed them. Listen to what, what he says. This is so good. It's so good, so practical. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Things that just glorify yourself. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And listen to what he says. This is the mindset of Christ Jesus. And if Christ has imprinted his spirit in us, this is how we are to live. Listen to what Jesus, this is how he lived his life. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, he chose to make himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, and this is what Paul is saying. If you're going to want to be a follower of Christ, then follow the example of our Lord and Savior who humbled himself, who chose humility, who chose not to be served, but to serve us and allow us to have a right relationship with God by giving his life for you and I. And so Paul's telling us that the way to godly living is through humility. Let me just say this. If the church needs anything today, we need a huge, heaping dose of humility. And here's, here's let me just, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail, so just follow me, okay? Let me just say this. We do see everything that's going on around the world, and it's frustrating. I'm with you, all right? It's frustrating to see what's going on in our world. But that should never stop us from walking in humility. That should never stop us from serving, that doesn't mean we don't speak up. That doesn't mean we, we don't see the things we don't like and pray for our world. We need to do that. But let's do it with humility and love in the spirit of Christ as we serve others. Amen. Even when they disagree with us, even when they don't hold to the same values that we hold to, that gives us no justification to act unrighteous or not to walk in humility. Everybody said? Even if you don't agree with it, say amen. No, I'm just teasing, right? So this is the heartbeat that Paul is bringing forth as character, the character of Christ living within us should be humility. Jesus sets the standard for us by serving, by humbling himself. Our mindset should be the same. So what we do is, and this is just our flesh getting in the way, because naturally we want to take care of who? Ourselves, right? You guys know it. We, we want to take care of ourselves or our own interest. And, um, and Paul's saying, listen, it's not wrong to look out for your own interest. That, that's not the point. He's saying we, we shouldn't care about ourselves. But what Paul is saying is concern yourself or apply yourself to others. Just don't look out for yourself, but be conscientious of others around us as you walk in humility. And so what, what Paul's going to tell us in the same book 
is these are the things that a follower of Christ should concentrate on. These are the things that our mind should, should be set on as we follow Jesus. And he tells us, and he gives us a great list here in chapter 4 of Philippians, and he tells them finally in the last part of his letter, he tells them finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He goes, these are the things we should be thinking about. The things that are noble, the things that are right, the things that are excellent, the things that are lovely. These are the things. And he goes, the things that you've seen in me, you follow me because I'm following Christ. Put those things into practice. So what's the focus of these verses? The focus of these verses is the character of Christ within us. And the word noble here is a really interesting word. The word noble means honorable, dignified, or honest. Do the things that are honest. If, if it's a person of character, right? A person of character is known by their character, right? A person who walks with nobility and honesty is going to be known by that. As followers of Jesus, these are the things we should be known by. I love what Noel Coward says here. It's discouraging to think how many people are shocked by honesty and how few by deceit. Right? It's true. It's true. We celebrate when someone does the right thing, which we should celebrate when people do the right thing. But the quote is valid. We're almost shocked when someone does something honest. Right? Why are we so shocked by that? Why are we, oh, well, they did the right thing, and we need to honor that, and we need to celebrate that. Why are we shocked when someone does the right thing? Here is the answer. Here is the answer. Because character seems to be lacking in our world today. That's why. Very easy. It's not rocket science here. It's because character is lacking in our world. I did a study of this word character and I read this article by Warren Sussman, who is a cultural historian, and he researched the, the rise and fall of character over the decades, over the centuries. And there's this article by, by Brett and Kate McKay who reveals Sussman's discoveries and how the concept of character actually changed over the years. This is very, very interesting. What Sussman's research revealed about the rise and fall of the concept of character and tracing its prevalence in literature and self-improvement manuals and guides in popular different eras. And so he kind of traced it through self-help books, through, through just this concept of character over the centuries. And what he found out was this. He found out that the term character began in the 17th century and it peaked in the 19th century. And Sussman writes that it embodied a culture. These centuries embodied a culture of character. Character was important. It was important how you lived your life. During the 1800s, character was the key word in the vocabulary of British and Americans in the 1800s. And a man was described as having strong or weak character, good or bad character, or a great deal of character, or no character at all. 
Young people were admonished to cultivate high, real, noble character and told that character was the most priceless thing that they could ever obtain, was character. Now, something began to change in the 20th century. Sussman found that the ideal of character began to be replaced by that of personality. Now, foot track, I hope you're not going to fall asleep because this is so good, okay? I, I, I worked hard at this, okay? So just, just entertain me. It's a little bit of a classroom setting, but we're, we're, we're teeing this up for, for the rest of the summer. But I want you to see something here. This is exactly what we're seeing today. Do you have, how many of you have ever heard of the word influencers? Have you ever heard of an influencer? Many of you have. Very, very big on social media. Everybody wants to be an influencer. We want to influence others. But it's not about character. It's about what? Personality. It's about personality. And this is what began to change over the centuries. So we need to understand that character and personality are completely different things. And this is what we've lost track of. So what happened? Well, we shifted. This is what Sussman came up with. We shifted from being a producing society to a consuming one. There was a shift in what we valued and what we thought was important. So in place of defining ourselves through the cultivation of virtue, people began to express themselves through hobbies, dress, and material possessions. That became the most important thing. And what Sussman observed is the shift through the changing content of self-improvement manuals. Now... Just Google self-improvement books and you'll probably get a million different books that are going to pop up, right? That is so popular. Three, three steps to a better you, right? Blah, 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 right? We, so many self-improvement uh, books out there. So what, what happened here, it went from emphasizing moral imperatives and work to personal fulfillment. It started to turn inward. It started to be more about me and how I look and what I do, and I want to impress people by what I do, not who I am. And that's what began to change over the centuries. See, this vision of self-sacrifice began to yield to that of self-realization, and that's scary. Because self-realization, all it is is self-indulgence. We began to indulge and ourselves. Now, once again, it's not wrong to have a hobby. It's not wrong to like to do things or whatever those things are. But the problem is that became our focus. And the idea of character and how you lived your life went to the wayside. And that's what began to change. What we saw as important began to change. How you look is more important than who you are. Now, I am an 80s product. I, how many grew up in the 80s? You're like me. Okay, so that means you're in your 50s or early 60s. Just point you guys out, okay? I'm a product of the 80s. And what was, what was epitomized in the 80s was wealth, success, status, right? I used to wear my collar up with my eyes out shirts. And I had my Doc Siders, right? It was the preppy look. But the big thing that epitomized, and I just did that to get Kathleen, and it worked, by the way. So anyways, um, it worked out great for me. Um, but, but remember the 80s, what was the big thing? It was money, right? And what, what business schools did, getting their MBAs, they pumped out people that would go to Wall Street, wanting to make a lot of money. And what they noticed, a lot of Ivy League schools that were pumping out these business people to go out into Wall Street and make all this money, 
is what they noticed really quickly is they lacked ethics. It was, it was money over morals. What, what, by any means that you could do it with, on the border of not getting arrested, which many did, this mindset was money over ethics, money over morals. And now what you're beginning to see is ethic classes <laughs> within business schools. Why? Because they saw it backfired. Why? Because the main thing was how much money can I make? What kind of status can I have? What kind of car do I drive? It was all exterior. There was no character within it. And that became the driving force. And so what we're faced with today is the same thing. There's this inner moral compass that began to change. And the most important thing became how can I influence people? There was a book written uh, by a man named Henry Scott Holland in 1888. And the book was called Creed and Character. Creed and Character from 1888. And this is what Holland said. Holland said, character, this is so good. He said, character is the reaction to circumstances. It is the inner movement which encounters and withstands the shock of change in outward things. Now, what did Holland mean by that? He said, actually, your character is built through adversity. Your character is built through adversity, the things that you go through. And and listen, you you will figure out who you are real quickly, right, when things don't go your way. You'll figure out who you are and what you're trusting and what's on the inside when things don't go your way. And, and, And what... Holland was saying here is, how do we respond to difficulty? See, when we go through suffering and we go through difficult times, this is where we dig into our Christian walk and really understand who we are and what faith is and what, who Jesus is and how he can sustain us through those difficult times. But if I'm so focused on the outward things, right, what begins to happen is I feel entitled. Like, I deserve these things. And so when things don't go my way, I get disappointed. I'm like, God, I, I thought you were supposed to bless me all the time, right? I thought it was, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of the king. I'm a, kid, I'm a king's kid, right? Everything's supposed You know what I say to that? You all know, that's what I say to that, right? It, it doesn't go that way all the time. God does bless us, amen? But sometimes we are going to face difficult times. And those difficult times are going to reveal the character that's in your life, and what are you trusting? And what, what I fear for most in our world today, with such influence that we have through social media, is we get lost, our identity can get lost, not by who we are, but by what we do and how many people we can influence. And, and I, I think, I know, we've lost our way a little bit. And, and it's easy, not just, I'm not pointing at the world, it's easy for us too. Because we want to find our, our identity. We want people to know who we are. We, want to, we all want to be noticed, don't we? We want people to think that we're good at what we do. That's okay. But if that becomes the focus of who I am, my identity, that pit will never be filled. You will look and look and constantly look and never be fulfilled. And so what Jesus is telling us through his word and what Paul is telling us in his word is focus on the things that build your character. Think about people in your life of high character. Think about those people that have done the right thing. 
Those people have influenced your life for the good, for the positive. Think about those people. You remember those people. You remember the good that they did. You remember that they made the right choices. You remember that they didn't cut corners. That is an impression that sticks in your mind, isn't it? See, those are the things that we need to think about. We need to think about not only how does this affect my walk with the Lord, but when I'm making these choices, it will affect those around me. How are they seeing the way I live my life? Brett McKay says this, as we are faced with the varying circumstances each day and decide how to act, our actions become our habits and our habits become our character. Let me say it again. As we face with many varying circumstances each day and decide how to act, we can decide how we're going to choose in every situation that we're faced with each and every day. Our actions will eventually become our habits and our habits will become our character or who we are. That's why it's so important that we allow Christ to be the person that we follow because we want his imprint on our life. And it's so easy to be influenced by the things of this world and allow the world to imprint its, its values on our heart if we're not careful. And so you need to ask yourself, what do you value the most? What do you value the most? What, what, what's your, if you had to write a personal mission statement for yourself, what would it be? What would be your personal mission? I mean, you may work for a company and they have a mission statement, right? I'm going to give you ours as a church in just a second here, what, what our four core values are. What is your personal mission statement? What is it? It will reveal what's going on in your heart and what you see is most important. Is it a Christ-centered value or, or is it something that the world has imprinted on your heart? See, when you go through difficult things, it it will show you what you truly value, what's important in your life. And so it's so important for us to establish things in our life that are going to build ourselves up in Christ Jesus because the world is constantly battling for our attention. Amen? Constantly battling for our attention. And so that's why our hearts have to be centered on the gospel and who Jesus Christ is. Here are, the, here are just the four simple core values of living word. And this is... If, you've, if you're a member, uh, you've heard us speak about these. But this is our dashboard. This is what we look to as a church. They're just simple. They're just four things. And we believe if we stay on these four things, it will keep us focused on what God wants us to do and what he values and what we need to be doing as a church. Very simply, we're a biblically-based church. Our teaching, what we believe is true, and our values must come from the word of God. We believe this is God's inerrant word. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that is fully truth, without error, and we need to trust it and follow this pattern. It's not, please don't follow my opinions because they're terrible sometimes, right? Uh, we want to follow what the word of God is. We strive to give the ultimate authority to the word of God in its entirety and submit to what it says regardless of our personal opinions or bent, right? Amen? Okay, good. We want to be mission-minded. That's a value for us. Jesus said to do what? Go into all the world and make disciples, right? 
and to preach his wonderful message. We strive to support domestic and international world missions financially, reaching out to our neighbors in tangible ways and strive in the world on short-term missions trips and right around here. I love Brand, Pastor Brand just mentioned us uh, serve 315. Guess what? We want to serve Ontario. If it's cleaning up a park or a trail or whatever, you think, well, how is that going to make a difference? A huge difference because it says we care about our community. It's the reason why we do a school giveaway in August to those in, in the Wayne Central School District and in the elementary school because we care about people. The, the mission is people. Whether it's here or it's in Belize or wherever we go around the world, it's about people. It's about serving them. So we want to be mission-minded. We want to be community-focused, like I just mentioned. Here's something that we say a lot around, uh, around the church here. Because this, I heard it once, and it just stuck in my mind. Um, I want to make such an impact on our community that if we were to close the doors tomorrow, people would notice. They would feel our absence if we were to shut our doors tomorrow and nobody cared or nobody knew, we're doing something wrong. And so we have to be community focused. We have to show our community, we love you and we are here to serve you. Whether it's through Thanksgiving turkeys during our Thanksgiving feast giveaway or it's you know, serving Ontario by cleaning up a trail or giving out school supplies, whatever, or you just doing something nice for your neighbor, right? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. why do you do that? I just want you to know I care about you. And by the way, I go to Living Word. Why don't you come to church with me next week? Right? Amen? (laughs) So we want to be community-focused. That's a value. So the Bible and who Jesus is and why he came, being mission-minded, our community. And then lastly, our last core value is just healthy people. And and what, what do I mean by that? We strive to create an environment in our church where we're more in love with Jesus then we are our personal preferences. Listen, we all have our opinions, right? But if we allow our opinions about our political leaning or whatever it may be to become the focus of our church, it will rip us apart. Okay? It's okay to have an opinion about this. I, I have a lot of opinions. I, I live with Kathleen. She lives with me. She hears them all the time, right? We have those. But listen, as a church, we want this church to be healthy, And many churches get unhealthy very quickly because they focus on the wrong things. They get away from the gospel message and why Jesus came and why he died for us. And we get away from that. We get off on these rabbit trails, whether it's political, whatever it may be, and it can tear our church apart quicker than anything else. We want to strive to focus on Jesus. Let that be the thing that unifies us. And we're going to take communion in just a moment. And it's through the blood that Jesus shed for us, that unifies us as a church. And all of us are going to have different opinions. And the Bible tells us that we need to be able to bear with one another in love, right? And what that means is to bear with one another's idiosyncrasies. We all irritate each other in one way, right? We all have our own way of wanting to do things, right? But it's the love of Christ and what he's done for us and what we see in our community. Listen, what's going to unify our church and keep us together is our focus on God's word, being mission-minded, being community-focused, not on us, not on me, not on what I want all the time, but when we focus on others, it, 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 what it does is it tears that me-ism out of this place. And it focuses on what Jesus wants us to focus on. And Jesus told his disciples, you need to go out 
and tell people what I've done for them and love each other. They're going to know that you're my disciples by your political slant, right? Is that what it says? No, wait, I'm in the wrong version there. That's the me version, right? It's the wrong version, right? It's by how you do what? Love each other. And I believe when we focus on God's word, we focus on Christ, we focus on mission, we we focus on our community, we will have a healthy church. That doesn't mean we're not going to have different opinions about things, but we can forgo our opinions for the sake of our relationship in Christ Jesus. And so when we take communion today, the symbol of it is binding us together under the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not our own personal preferences, and we all have those. But let our love for Jesus and what he's done for us and him being the Son of God and him being the only way to God, let that be the thing that binds us together as a church. And all these other things, we can still join hands and just sing kumbaya and just get along, all right? Amen? And still love each other through it all. Because at the end of the day, you know the only thing that matters? is Jesus. That's it. And, and are we doing what he's called us to do? So the Apostle Paul tells us what we are to focus on and we're to focus on that which builds character in our lives. And so the difficult circumstances will reveal our true character. It will reveal it. And so I'm going to just finish with this, and then we're going to take communion. We're going to close in song. But I want to give you the the biblical definition of what character is. I love this. This is the biblical definition or the word character. And it has an interesting definition. It comes from a Greek word that means to engrave. It means engraved mark. Um, And if you trace back the word a little further, it literally means to engrave or to etch. Character is an engraved mark that's etched on your soul. How many many of you ever had etch-a-sketch? You guys remember that? I got a picture. Remember the etch-a-sketch? Those are, how many had one? Come on. But I'm really pointing on my age. I'm sorry, but it's under 40. I just totally lost all you guys. Remember that Etch-a-Sketch? Love that Etch-a-Sketch. I mean, people are, I mean, if you go online and just Google Etch-a-Sketch, I mean, people are like, wow. I mean, they're like complete artists with this thing. That, that's what this word means. Character means to etch a sketch on your heart. <laughs> that would have been a good sermon title, Etch-a-Sketch. That would have been, I, I missed it again. And so, As we look in antiquity, what's interesting about this is in antiquity, a character actually was a stamp impressed into wax, and it was someone's trademark or signature. So this word literally means a stamp to impress on wax. It was someone's trademark or signature. In the 17th century, the word character was associated with the qualities of a person. Our character is what shapes us. And my question to you is, what is impressed in your heart? What is the thing that is impressed, that's sketched in your heart? Is it the character of God? Is it striving to want to know him and having Jesus within our lives? Or is it some other pursuit? Well, as a follower of God, we need the imprint of Christ in our life. And when we have that, it's going to be seen in the way we live our lives. So character, biblical character, includes thoughts, habits, temperament, judgment, motives, behavior. All these things make up our character. And so going back to what Sussman said, character is not based on how you dress 
or your style of music or whether or not you're outgoing or you're an introvert. Character defines your thoughts, behavior, habits, and it's related to your values and your morals. Do you do the right thing when no one else is looking? When you open your door, let me just get practical here. How many times have you had a ding on your car and no one left a note? Right? It's when you open your door and you you leave a ding on their door and you write a note and say, here is my number. I put a ding in your car. That's character. That's character. See, those are the things. If Christ's spirit is imprinted in our life, then we're going to want to do the right thing, not to glorify ourselves like the Pharisees did or the religious elite, but because we're so in love with Christ and we want to follow him and we want his character to be seen in our lives, then we're going to do the right thing, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Christ because I now live for him and I want him to be glorified in my life. And so Paul's point is this, let Christ imprint his spirit on you. And as as followers of Christ, it's more than just believing and understanding your salvation, it's actually living it out. It's how we treat one another. It's how we tame our temperament. That's part of our character in Christ. So my question to you this morning is, how is Christ engraving his spirit in your life? And so what you need to do, just maybe for homework this week, right? For homework this week, write down your values and make it your personal mission statement. And, and even if you feel like, man, I've blown it. and We all have, right? We all make mistakes. And man, God, I'm just thinking about it this week. I, I, I treated that store employee pretty poorly. That wasn't a good representation of you, Jesus. You might need to go back to that person and apologize. I've already done that at Lowe's one time already. I... Believe me, I called the guy back later and he didn't remember me. I go, I was the jerk that we arguing with you about this thing. And he's like, oh, you know, I get jerks all day. So I was just one of the many jerks that he ran. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> true story. I'll tell you what, though. The Holy Spirit beat me up pretty bad that day. Because I knew that's not what Jesus wanted for Barton. And it's humbling. It's humbling. When we have to go back, listen, sometimes with Christians we can do that, but listen, we've got to show the world that character is more important than sometimes in just being right. So let the character of Christ humble you in the way you live out your life. And so write down your values, make it a personal mission statement, and then how is your character in Christ not only shaping you, But guess what? It'll shape others. People will see that something is different in you and you can give the glory to Christ of how he's changed you because you say, you know what? Man, I'm a jerk a lot of the times and Christ constantly has to deal with my heart. And so we want to make sure that not only has he imprinted his character on our hearts, but that we can also be an example to others and imprint the love of Jesus Christ in other people's lives, that they will take notice that we are different. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, walking in humility and giving him the glory and allowing his love and his goodness to be seen in others by how we live it out in our lives. Amen? All right, I'm going to shut up.
And uh, we're going to take communion together and sing. But would you pray with me? Let's, let's as, a, as a church today, as we take communion, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Um, here, here's what the Apostle Paul says. I first want to say communion is open to any one of you here. If you're part of the family of God and, and you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by all means, take, take communion. If you haven't done that, we're going to say a prayer in just a minute. And you can give your life to Christ and turn your life over to him. And by all means, take communion with us. If you feel like you don't, you don't feel right today and don't want to take communion, no judgment zone here at all. Please don't. Feel free not to take it. If you want to pray in just a moment, just to let your heart be right before God, then do that. And, and, and there's forgiveness in our, in our relationship with Christ, and he can forgive us, and you can feel free to take communion. But here's what Paul says when he wrote to the, the Corinthians. He says, examine your hearts. See, the Corinthian church had their relationships messed up. They were focused on the wrong thing. And he goes, don't bring condemnation on your heart by taking this in a haphazard way. Let's remember the power that's in communion. The reason why there's power in communion is because we're remembering what Christ did for us. He took on our sins. He took our filth to the cross so that we could now be covered in him and his forgiveness and his grace. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. So as we take community, let's ask God to imprint his son's spirit on our hearts in the way we live it out. And then if there's things that you need to ask for forgiveness then do it. He's, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's just, we come before him with humility and say, just forgive me, cleanse me, and you will be. That's the power of Christ in his forgiveness. So as we take this today, let's just make sure our hearts are, are right before him. And let's remember the reason we do this is we're remembering the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for you and I, that without his sacrifice, we could not be made right before God and we could not receive eternal life. And so as we do this, let us remember that Jesus is the only way. And it's by his precious blood and his sacrifice that we are healed today, that we are covered. So allow Christ's spirit to be imprinted in your life today as we give him glory. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. None of us in this place are perfect. None of us in this place by our own works could ever meet your righteous demands. Jesus, you met those righteous demands in your perfect life because you are God. And through Christ Jesus, we can find healing and forgiveness. Lord, you cover us today. Lord, I pray that today that you would bind us together as a church, not through our opinions, not through our hobbies, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let that be the thing that, that the world sees, that we are united through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's your love that unites us. May the world see that we are your disciples by how we love each other, how we forgive each other, how we work through our differences in love, how we forgo our own petty things at times for the betterment of the body. Let that be our emblem today. So we thank you for accepting us. Thank you for giving us your grace when we 
when we certainly don't deserve it. Thank you for your mercy that we don't deserve. And it's all because of Jesus and his precious sacrifice for us. So as we take communion today, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for our shortcomings, for our sins. We ask you to cover us. Thank you that there's forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you cover us today. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our communion cups. If you turn it over at the bottom is the wafer, and hopefully these are a little bit easier to open up than the other ones, but um, then you can take out the wafer. And then make sure you flip it back over, otherwise you're going to spill grape juice all over yourself, and you don't want that. And then let's all take off the top together. Hopefully it's easier for everyone. Perfect. Amen. I want you to hold the bread in your hand. I want you to look at it. This is Jesus' body that was given for us. He gave everything for you. He gave everything for you. He didn't hold back. So we're thankful that Jesus gave his life for us. And it's through him we can find healing. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And as you look at the cup today, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins. Because Jesus was God, he could appease the righteous demands of a, of a, of a holy God. He met those requirements for you and I. And through faith in Christ, we are now made righteous before God, not, not because of our works, because of the works of our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we take this, we're remembering Jesus' precious sacrifice for you and I. We're declaring that Jesus, you are the only way. And we give him glory. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Let's stand today. We're going to close this in a beautiful